Welcome to She Leads in Tech, where we exist to showcase and spotlight the talents and achievements of women in tech. We're a platform to share knowledge, experiences, and expertise to encourage women to realize their leadership potential at every level of career in the tech industry. Various statistics and research shows that women hold only 5% of leadership positions in the tech industry. At the heart of our mission at SheLeads is spotlighting female leaders in tech because we recognize that this is a critical part of changing the statistics. This week, our guest speaker, Rosalind Singleton, CEO of Spring Fiber, joined the two-way session of SheLeads and the Autumn Pro Women's Forum to share her thoughts and experience on cultivating a senior mindset. Rosalind's career spans over 30 years in the telecommunications industry and in addition to her role as CEO, she is the chair of UK 5G, an investor with Angel Academy and non-executive director AlphaWave IP Group. This session presented a powerful opportunity to reframe and visualize what a CEO in the tech industry looks like. There are so many great learnings from this conversation and there's something for every woman in tech. Whether you're considering your next career move or even in doubt about your suitability for a role in tech, this session is for you. SheLeads has recently been featured by Feedspot as one of the top 60 podcasts for women in tech. Listen to our previous episodes to discover our engaging conversations with inspirational women in the tech industry. Oh, hello. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on She Leads today. And we've got a very exciting session today because we are recording jointly with the Altanco Women's Forum. And today our guest is Rosalind Singleton. CEO of Spring Fiber. So thank you for joining us, Ros. That's a pleasure, Lydia. Thank you. So Ros, our guest speaker today, I'm not going to say too much around her, but I'm just going to uh, say quickly, she wears so, so many hats in the tech industry. Ros is the chair of UK 5G, alongside being CEO of Spring Fiber. But I'm not going to ruin her introduction by going through her impressive resume. And I'm just going to welcome you, Ros, and say, tell us about you and the amazing career you've had to date so far. Thank you, Lydia. That's very kind. And I have to say, I never think those things about myself. <laughs> so, so it's very nice of you to say them. Um, yeah, so as Lydia says, I'm the CEO of Spring Fibre, which is a, a fibre to the premise startup. Basically, it's uh, for, for a better way of describing it, construction, digging holes, putting in ducting and laying fibre in it. I'm also the chair of uh, the UK 5G Advisory Board, which is um, a body set up by government to promote the use of 5G in the UK. And that's coming to the close after four and a half years in September, uh, with hopefully some significant achievements. I'm also a non-executive of a silicon IP business that floated on uh, the London Stock Exchange last year. I'm on Ofcom Spectrum Advisory Board, um, and I do a couple of bits for other advisory, not least with uh, one of my favorite things in the world, which is a group called Angel Academy, which is an angel investing group. Our diversity target is 30% men. Um, and we basically invest in female founders, primarily in tech businesses, ideally B2B at the moment. We, we do a lot of FinTech and health tech type investing. 
Um, and I have to say, I really love the angel investing. It's brings me into contact with lots of amazing young people most of whom are women actually um, because of the way we select our cohort um, and also teaches me about stuff I just don't come across in my day-to-day -day life like you know for example I've been invested in blockchain since about 2017 or 2016 I think um, so that's a little bit about what I do at the moment um, by background I've been in telecoms mainly for 30 odd years I started out my very first job I was a tea lady I used to push a trolley around um, a company and I sort of worked my way up from there and I was very lucky to be at what is now O2 um, it was called Selnet back then um, but it was a great environment to learn in I got to move through lots of different departments I had loads of people who were very happy to explain to me what things like multiplexers and other mysterious devices are in networks um, and I have to say that's stood me in good stead ever since. Yeah thank you Roz and I guess just to um, bring the conversation to like when, when we met at uh, Relish Networks which became UK Broadband and then part of three uh, you were I believe the, the CTO then uh, with, with Nick James and in, in our conversation the other day, I was just saying how much growth has happened with you from when I met you to your current uh, position in well, as the CEO of Spring Fiber. So I just want to understand how that journey uh, happened for you, because I, I think from, from my perspective, being an outsider into your journey, it just seemed like lots of amazing things and it, it sort of seemed to me like your career skyrocketed sort of over overnight from that point so could you tell us how that happened yeah so I mean I would say luck plays a big part in anybody's career journey and <clears throat> anybody who believes otherwise is probably very very arrogant um I would say and unless you know you're in something where you literally get sc blind scored on everything but um unless you're in an orchestra that generally isn't true um so I would say I was incredibly lucky to land at UK Broadband. I was in a job I didn't very much enjoy before. Um, but what I would say is I've spent a lot of my career doing a lot of different things um, and had spent uh, probably around 20 years of it in, in sort of IT telecom. So very specifically, you know, covering end-to-end -end IT. And ultimately I ended up being something called a business architect when that was a fairly new definition if you like um, of a career which is basically somebody who puts together people processes and systems to to make um ways that businesses can achieve their strategic and tactical aims and um, so i've done a load of consulting and, and those sorts of things before moving on to this this other business i didn't like very much i'd also been at a very wide variety of telcos so a lot of my consulting was um at places like vodafone and and barty um Previous to that, I'd been at, as I said, O2, you know, BT Openreach um, and, well, you know, a wide variety of other telcos of varying sizes. Yeah. So when uh, UK Broadband came and found me, effectively, I was um, literally thinking about just going consulting, which would have been the most lucrative thing for me. But they offered me the opportunity to start an IT team. The job started off really small. So basically, what would you do with this IT team? But I love my interview so much that I really like the people um, and effectively just thought, well, I just want to go and work with these guys, right? It'd be great fun. And there wasn't really much of a business then. There were 70 people, but it was still a very patchworky business. At the time, we were launching a brand Relish, which is a consumer broadband wireless proposition in London, or was rather. It's now, um, you know, three broadband. But um, 
as we moved along, I got given more and more responsibility. Uh, so I started off being about, um, you know, just doing some IT, um, operational IT, and then I got given all the IT development. And then uh, eventually they asked me to run the network as well. And I became the chief operating officer, which meant I looked after most of the stuff that runs things on a day-to-day -day basis, building it and then making it run properly um, eventually, which is about the time I think that, that Lydia uh, and I met. Um, and when they, the company was purchased, they asked me to be the managing director. I mean, it, like I say, it's just a, a series of, of lucky events, I suppose. I wouldn't say it's all luck, though. There's a degree of competence behind it. And my old boss, Nick, who Lydia mentioned earlier, used to say that one of the things he liked about me was, you know, I wasn't in his office all the time. If he heard from me with a problem, it was a real problem. Um, and I think there's a degree of competence, perhaps, that he found useful and I don't really like politics or drama um, and I always previously previous to becoming like the managing director of the business I always used to describe myself as an excellent sidekick because actually you know at finding somebody I work very well with and then um, helping them achieve what they want to achieve is something that actually I, I always enjoyed very much particularly because it puts you a little bit out of the limelight and gives you more focus on actually getting the work done no, that's excellent, Rose. And in, in your journey, did you find on that path to, to leadership that you, you had to change your mindsets at any point to be able to do uh, the things, so assuming more responsibility from chief operation, operating officer to MD, did you find that a shift in your mindset was necessary to enable you to take on those responsibilities? Oh, this is interesting, Lydia, because we've never had this conversation. But um, yeah, I think I think <laughs> I think I changed a lot. Um, and I don't know how visible it was, but I came previously, I I felt the business, the business was quite hard-edged about lots of things. Um and when I moved, I, I assumed I would continue like that, and um, because that was very much, if you like, the culture, you know, a management team is very much like any other team, will tend to have a prevailing culture to a degree, even though there are tensions and politics and those sorts of things. Mm. Um, and one of the things I did find is actually I'm much more people-oriented than I thought. I always thought I was very task-oriented because, you know, I'm sort of IT, um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm not massively keen on, you know, that many people. Um, I don't like lots of very close physical contact and those sorts of things. So, you know, I always thought I wasn't. But it turns out, actually, um, th there are two things. One is it's nicer to run a company where people like each other and, and act like they do. Mm -hmm. And um, and the, the other part of it is, you know, it's really obvious when you think about it, but actually... Uh, people need to be successful it makes us all happy what we want is to be no matter how old we are or how young we generally want a degree of autonomy i.e to be able to make you know decisions ourselves and we want to be able to achieve things because that gives us a sense of satisfaction you know regardless of what you do i mean i you know it sounds silly but there have been jobs i've had like for, i used to clean a training center for example i had a limited degree of control over where I want, went, but the quality of the work I did and how I felt about it was actually a little bit in my control. And I've had other jobs where that was much less the case. I didn't have control over the quality of work I did or how I felt about it. And actually, I have to say, you know, one is somehow weirdly more satisfying than others. Um, being a chambermaid was never satisfying anyway. That's just horrible. But anyway. Thank you, Rose. So over the nearly 30 years span of your career, was it a deliberate choice to end up where you are now? You know, if you'd asked me when I was 14, 
Yes. Uh, when I was 14, me and my best friend at school used to talk about, you know, by the time we were 27, we'd be CEOs and married with a couple of kids, you know, and all those sorts of things, um, which, you know, now seems hilarious and uh, rather fanciful. As, as my career went along, when I first started, I was very, very ambitious. Um, you know, I went my way up a certain amount of things quite quickly. I, I, I targeted things I wanted to do, like I really wanted to be a project manager. So I ended up actually being an accountant for a while because really good solid knowledge of finance will, will help you be a better project manager and I used to do those sorts of research and things but over time what I realized is the jobs I enjoy are what makes me happy and you have to kind of I think get to a certain salary level before you can be comfortable doing that because actually there's a basic need to you know be able to provide what you need to provide in life but once you get to that point I think um, it's a lot easier to focus on what makes you happy and so it's not that my ambition went away it's just that it wasn't level oriented and, and to a degree it's still not that level oriented. When I started getting the fancy pants job titles again, and you know, the, these aren't enormous jobs, you know, UK broadband was 120 people or thereabouts most of the time. Um, but the fancy pants job titles come with status and I've discovered I, I really like status. I enjoy the trappings that come with it. Um, but I've learned that about myself and I've also learned, or I like to think a little bit to try and you know, take that to one side and say actually is, is the work itself enjoyable and satisfying because actually that's at the end of the day that that's what really counts you spend so much of your time at work it's if you can possibly enjoy it and you're lucky enough to be able to have those sorts of jobs and you really should and so my ambition has moved very much to I want to learn and work with people I find interesting um, and that can teach me things um, and that's always something I very much enjoy. And were there any self-limiting beliefs you had to dispose of to make progress in your career <laughs> uh, disposing them and just kind of locking them up in a little box somewhere in the corner right and, and every now and then they they wheedle their way out and, and get into my ears um yeah so I've always thought I was a terrible public speaker um and I've, I've done a lot of it now and as a as a woman because everybody wants women in their lineup and particularly in telecoms at a fairly senior level you know there are a limited number so I get I, I get to punch above my weight a lot and I've had to Get over that and when I watch myself back I still sometimes go oh my god why are you umming all the time or, or whatever it happens to be but you know the point is I'm up there and doing it and the only way to get better at it is to practice and at the end of the day and you'll have heard me say this before Lydia nobody's gonna die <laughs> it's, it's not that bad um so I have a lot of things I've, I've nearly always assumed I'm the dumbest person in the room or the person that knows least in the room um and you know again over time you get these little instances you know I'm sure you've all had them before you sit in a room and you're, you're talking about something and you suddenly realize actually you probably do know more than most of the people in the room and understand the subject better and it's kind of a surprise but then you don't want to lord it over them and like you know be all I am and it's really difficult sometimes to find that balance one of the uh, young women I'm mentoring at the moment actually has um she doesn't like to speak first and so she waits and hopes somebody else will make her point but but then everybody thinks you know that she's not really paying attention so and because they know she knows and they know she's smart and it's a really difficult position to be in where you don't want to appear arrogant and I've sort of had to learn to push some of that down a little bit and and do things I'm quite profoundly uncomfortable with in terms of putting myself in the middle of things particularly you know in a room full of what I think of as older older guys but largely actually you know I'm 50 now so most of the time everybody's younger than me but it's still there's still that thing where you're like you feel like you're in a room full of grown-ups I have lots of those things I'm constantly insecure about the way that I look 
um, you know, all all the things that I suppose most of us feel most of the time have have plagued me. And sometimes you just have to talk sense to yourself, right? And and is is that something you still do in terms of managing those feelings and managing imposter syndrome? Has that changed now that you are a CEO and you've got all of the fancy pants title, as you say, is that something that has gone away? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it does a little bit. The other thing is, uh, about, uh, I'm going to say 12 years ago, I realised I didn't want to play act anymore. So I used to try and be a grown-up professional um, and sort of had a work me and, and a me me, and I realised that I didn't want to do that anymore. So I had a pretty big health problem and I just thought you know life's too short I, I don't want to be a different person and actually in a lot of ways that released me from a lot of things because I might feel all those things but at the end of the day if I'm not trying to live up to an image of, of something I'm trying to act or whatever you know that that sort of see it be it or you know fake it till you make it thing that that just doesn't work for me mm. um and I think I just found a style which worked for me which is just me being me and that if you like released that was sort of the start of a huge the last you know 12 years of I mean it sounds like a long time I think about it but you know it feels like I've, I've I've really come up a long way and I was actually expecting to just be a really good business architect by now if you'd asked me what I thought I would have said I would be a really good business architect hopefully it was making a lot of money doing it yeah. so you know and I, I love I love all that putting together of, of entire organizations um so it works very well but but yeah, I think I think that was part of it is I, I have a much better idea of who I am. I'm much happier being who I am at work. And I think I don't have to be like somebody else or everybody else. What I do have to be is a decent human being. Um, really, I only I only have a couple of really strong principles, but I try to stick very, very, very strongly to them. Mm. And, and did you find your your perspectives changed as you navigated your way through a male-dominated environment? Yes, I was very lucky when I when I when I became the CIO of UKB. Um, it was actually uh, the board or the 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 senior management team that around the business was more than fifty percent female, which was really really unusual. I was like, goodness. <laughs> It was, it was really a surprise, but my old boss, almost unconsciously, I think, was actually quite a champion of women. Um, all the people he noticed in the business as being exceptional generally were female rather than uh, male. It was quite interesting. Um, but um, in, in everything else, I went to a conference last October for um, the fibre industry, and there was a point where I was the only woman in the room when I first arrived, and I felt like I was 22 again because it, it was like being dumped all the way back, you know, in time to you know, the, the very early 90s. And um, that was so weird. And then another woman turned up, so we talked to each other. <laughs> um, but it was very, you know, and it was unusual because it was it was very white, it was very male. It, it was slightly better as we went through, but, you know, in terms of, of uh, speakers, I was the first speaker on the second day that wasn't male, you know, on, on either day. So first, I had the first thought in the morning, the second day I was first, and I, I berated people at the conference rather strongly for the fact that, you know, you must be doing something uh, to not have any women here, guys. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it, 
it, it is difficult sometimes because there are lines that you have to be quite careful about. You worry about things that men will never understand, quite possibly. And certainly some of those guys who are, you know, in a very particular sort of environment are, are unlikely to understand, I would say, and that you maybe can't talk about. Um, but I'm finding actually it's just better to just talk about these things. And luckily, the environment in the last few years makes that more possible. Um, you know, I used to I used to joke about the hot flushes, right? And our, our company, our company stand-ups, like Evelyn, you'll remember this, but but it's things like that, you know, you, you we have to do our best to normalize things like, you know, menopause as far as possible. And and you know, the fact that pregnancy is perfectly normal, but sometimes a bit weird, you know, and, and all those sorts of things, because it, it is just part of being a human being, right? And we are more than 50% of the percentage of human beings so the other people really should just be getting used to us yeah no, that's right that's right that's excellent um i want to go back to your career journey um at spring fiber because uh, not a lot of people uh, would have heard about spring fiber because it didn't exist before you uh so i wanted you to tell us a bit more about that journey in setting up spring fiber and employing people and really being the boss and visionary of of a new company well i mean visionary is a, a strong word it's i mean it's, it's a fiber business right there are gazillions of them um literally over 100 registered fiber businesses in the uk today and um, doing this thing they're called altnet so alternative networks as an alternative to open reach and virgin um so i I was brought in by some uh, an investment house and some consultants who had started up Spring Fire and come up with a strategy and they needed somebody to execute it. So they came and found me. Um, I brought in actually some, some of our old colleagues from UK Broadband and some other people um, and have built a team. We are fundraising and, sorry, there's my window still in front of me is wood, touch wood. We are on our way to raising a fairly significant amount of money so we can start digging holes, um, hopefully in June. Mm -hmm. uh, the latest July um, and get the business moving so it's a very it's an interesting environment commercially at the moment because there are so many businesses and uh, it's likely to consolidate quite quickly and weirdly even though UKB was only I don't know eight years seven years or something I learned a lot we bought businesses we sold businesses we shut businesses we did all sorts of things so um, mm -hmm. I think all those skills and experience plus the angel investing and, and this process I'm going through now with investment will turn out to be really useful in the future. Yeah. Okay. I'm coming to a close of my own questions for the recording. So I just had two more questions I wanted to touch on. One was if uh, there are any specific aspects of your leadership journey other women can replicate for for success as they progress in their careers. Um. I suppose the one thing, and, and you know, this this again seems like common sense. The one thing I would say is if an opportunity comes up, it's quite frightening. Yeah. If you're in a position, you know, there's obviously a level of risk everybody can manage in their life, and especially financially, I get that. But basically, if you're just taking a risk because it's outside of your comfort zone, then, you know, do it. There's almost always another job. You know, no matter what it is, there is almost always another job that you can go and do. But if somebody offers you an opportunity that is really interesting, the worst thing that happens if, if you fail is you have to go and do this other job that probably won't be any more boring or worse than your current one. So if somebody offers you a really interesting opportunity, do it. If it's extracurricular and you can possibly fit it in, and Lydia is an excellent example of somebody who fits a huge amount in. But, um, you know, 
if you get an opportunity and particularly if you think it's a little bit more than you can manage do it because you'll find it's not and actually most other people I think are uh guessing half the time anyway or just trying to make it look like they are what they are you know men get imposter syndrome as well um and I do hear about this quite a lot and it's fascinating um I think we all worry sometimes that we're not good enough for the jobs we do but yeah take take the opportunities that life throws you because you're not going to sit on your deathbed going well now I'm really glad I didn't do you know whatever that was yeah thank you Rose and um, my last question is a big one on pay and opportunities so there's been quite 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 a lot on on LinkedIn particularly around you know what sort of pay brackets should women be asking for should women you know be paid as as much as their male colleagues are paid for the same job and all of that and I just wanted to get your your perspective on that uh pay gender pay gap debate and all of that what what, what should we as as women be aspiring to ask for when we seek these new positions and a new opportunity what should we be looking for pay-wise well that's that's an excellent question so i mean the gender pay gaps obviously actually uh like with many of these questions a lot more complicated than than you know on the face of it you would have it be um what i would say is i mean obviously legally we are entitled to the same pay as men for the same or a similar job right with a similar responsibility but there's a point particularly as you get later on in your career where you know you can't measure those things and it doesn't quite fall into that category i mean you know do you see some examples of, of city workers where you know their bonuses have been that much lower than that, that of their male counterparts they felt the need to go to tribunal and, and been very successful doing so which is great um but i think in in a a in, in various careers, you know, what you can do is different. I've never said I want to earn as much as, I don't know, Johnny or whatever next to me. Mm. Um, but the one thing I have learned again in the last few years is, you know, understanding your worth and asking for it is interesting. It's difficult to ask for a lot of money because you feel like you're being really arrogant and, and everything in us is to not ask for too much. Right. That's we are brought up that way or were at least. I don't know if that's still the case, but it, it's really difficult. But you kind of have to. There's this thing, uh, this Shakespearean phrase, you know, screw your courage to the sticking post. You kind of just have to go, right, I'm just going to go and I'm going to say I want X. And actually what you find is um, you can get there. So often, you know, you, you may not see a. Uh, a salary range. I firmly believe in publishing salary ranges with job adverts, and those, regardless of what the job is. Mm. Um, there are issues with that as an employer, but you know, largely it's much better for people who are going to recruit, and you get a much better cohort of applicants. But what I would say is, do the do a bit of research, figure out what other people might be earning, and ask for that. I mean, the worst thing anybody can say is no. They could say you're priced out of something. That's that's the only risk. But you know, again. In your career, largely, most of the time, we'll have a good idea what you're worth. I mean, if they asked me to run BT now, I would have no idea to, to, to ask to know what money I would ask for, right? That would take me a really long time to figure out. Um, but, you know, if it's something within your field of knowledge, then I would say, you know, go for it and always just stop and think, actually, am I actually, you know, what am I actually worth with these skills and experience? Not what do I feel like I deserve? What am I actually worth? Thank you, Rod. I think that's an 
excellent place to draw my questions to to a close so thank you for sharing your thoughts and and journey and um, i don't believe I, I i spelled out the the topic of discussion in the beginning i'm finding that i always missed it but we've been discussing Rosie's journey and it's framed around uh mindsets of a ceo or leadership if you call it that way anyway thank you for sharing your thoughts with us Rose. that's a pleasure lydia thank you, thank you.